welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lim, and this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and the stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, thanks for spending some time with me today. With that said, let's dive in. Well, welcome back. In this week's episode, I want to explore the cognitive skill of expressive writing, sometimes known as journaling. But for the sake of argument, I'm just going to refer to it as expressive writing. Now, Expressive writing is a tool that I've employed for many, many years, and it's, it's been a method for me to get on top of my thinking. Sometimes when I'm feeling anxious or stress or pressure due to work or other events in my life, expressive writing has been a means for me to find clarity, to get a sense of confidence, to have overwatch and oversight over my thinking and my emotions. And I think this is a very important tool. It doesn't take a lot of effort but it's something that's easily accessible to anyone everywhere. You know, we've all experienced finding ourselves stumbling into a situation racked with uncertainty, with the unknowns, with question marks popping out of the air. You know, perhaps it's a, an unknown charge on a credit card statement. Maybe it's a call in the middle of the day from our kid's school or kindergarten, and we're thinking, oh no, what's this? You know, at 1 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, perhaps we're just getting off a plane for a business trip and we're, we're searching our pockets for the, our passport, and we can't seem to find it. We check the computer bag, and it's not there. Any number of these kind of situations can cr- create a, a cascade of unhelpful thinking, unproductive thinking. And unfortunately, these feelings of dread and anxiety are commonly the result of a chain of unhelpful thoughts. You know, these situations, they, they exemplify how the mind directly influences the body but also how the body influences the mind. You can't separate. When we think about a thought, a thought is akin to pushing a button that triggers a cascading series of psychological and physiological responses within us. And these electrical and chemical signalings result in a number of things, reactive emotions, physical reactions like uh, increased blood pressure, increased heart rates, maybe a warming in us. You know, They lead to behaviors, and they lead to more negative thinking, unproductive thoughts. We are not aware of the stream of thoughts swimming in our heads most of the time. And the thing is, when we are in stressful situations, those external events that are happening to us, that's what occupies our attention, and we become oblivious to the internal chaotic narrative we tell ourselves. We're completely oblivious to that. So as a result, a negative mindset settles over us and we tend to accept every thought as truth. So, so instead of us critically questioning the validity of our thinking, of our thoughts, as we do if we were in a reflective, objective state of mind, well, instead we, we act reactively to those thoughts. We take those thoughts as tr- truth, as directions, and we act and react based on those thinking or that thinking. Our evolutionary wiring has equipped our brains to be constantly vigilant for potential dangers. 
Now, this in-bank 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week security system does not require any conscious effort. It doesn't require any energy from us, no effort at all. Instead, it is continually humming along in the background monitoring our surroundings for threats. I mean, it's constantly monitoring for dangers and hazards and problems. And as a result, nature has equipped our brains with a negativity bias filter. Now, this is the tendency to give more importance to negative experiences rather than positive or neutral experience. So if we take an evolutionary perspective for a moment, the negativity bias is the default response to keep us alive, to thrive, to survive. Now, this tendency is neither good nor bad. It just is. It's just part of our inner working. And it is simply part of our hardwiring to avoid any potential hazards and life-threatening situations. Now, this automatic tendency to see things negatively was beneficial for our ancient ancestors. Back on the African savanna, there was constantly lurking dangers. However, for us modern contemporary human beings here in 2022, the ability to focus on the negative, even when the negative experiences are inconsequential, has a major and significant disadvantage to us. This tendency to prioritize spotting the negative is also problematic because the mind does not limit that negativity bias only to the world outside of us, to external to us. It frequently plays a, a huge and dominant role in our internal world as well. For example, we can, I can, we can fixate on the one person in that meeting, you know, who seemed disengaged during our presentation, I don't know, seven, eight days ago. Or perhaps we fixate on that one thing a friend said to us that we interpret as, as a slight or as obnoxious, you know, and in an otherwise brilliant and fun evening with friends. Now, I think an important question to ask ourselves is this, how can we actually nullify the mind's negativity bias to help us rather than hinder us? Now, the brain's vigilance system, our internal watchdog, is very similar to breathing. What do I mean? Well, like breathing, we can override our breathing. We can steer that natural mechanism of inhaling and exhaling. If I need to excite myself, I need to wake myself up. Well, I can deliberately speed up my breathing. If I need to calm or relax myself, then I can slow it down. If I'm going to dive underwater, well, then I want to hold my breath. And in any case, I'm consciously deciding what I want to do with my breathing. We can use the same mechanism when it comes to our internal security system. We can get into the pilot seat and consciously steer it. So instead of our watchdog operating constantly on a negativity bias, and what's that again? While searching for those closed doors and obstacles, we can actually consciously override this bias and seek open doors and opportunities That's what we can do. We just tell ourselves, that's what I want to look for. But at some point, something will draw our attention away from controlling our breath. We may hold our breath for a while, but then something shiny, something else on the horizon draws our attention and we forget to do it. But the great thing is we don't have to worry about our breathing. We can be confident knowing that our unconscious systems will unfalteringly resume that life-sustaining job of Inhaling and exhaling. 
So as it is with our breathing, our internal watchdog will also return to his job of searching for dangers and jeopardies. But when we need to seek opportunities, when we need to seek a sense of moving forward, we can consciously tell ourselves that and we can actually put pause on that negativity bias. It will return once we move on to something else and our attention is drawn to something else. Our internal watchdog, just like our breathing, when we go back to whatever we do in our day-to-day, those automatic systems will resume their job and function. After eating dinner, I sometimes find myself rinsing my plate and washing the food waste into the sink instead of taking a couple of extra moments to sweep it into the food recycling bin. Now, what's going through my head? Well, I tell myself that the tiny amount of waste will get swept away down the pipes and away into the drains and bye-bye. Then the next day, I'm shocked that the water is so slow to drain out of the kitchen sink. So the only one to blame for the, those clogged pipes is me. Clogged pipes are comparable to unprocessed emotions. Let's say a couple of months ago, you know, we had an awful experience that left us shaken and unnerved. In the present, in the here and now, just thinking about that past experience leaves us feeling, what? Anxious. Because it, wakes in, it, it awakens all the associated thoughts and feelings connected to that event. And what, what can happen? For example, one thing that can happen, we can get angry and tell ourselves, grow up and get over it. The situation's over and it's behind us. Forget about it already. Just, just leave it alone. Well, the problem is the brain is not wired to simply forget about a painful experience. It holds on to that memory as a way to protect us from similar situations that could occur again in the future. Now, unless we deal with the thoughts and emotions connected with that painful event, those unprocessed thoughts and emotions linger. They become the detritus, the little food particles that actually clog up our mental piping. Now, there are two effective ways of unclogging our mental pipes. The first is to actually talk to someone about our problems. This may be a trusted friend, someone, uh, a close colleague. Perhaps it's someone outside our circle, perhaps a a professional such as a coach or a sparring partner, a therapist or a a psychologist. But unfortunately, there are going to be times when we have actually no one to turn to just because of circumstance or... We just don't want to talk to someone about what is troubling us. So this is when we can use the second option. The second option is to write out our thoughts and emotions on paper or to type them out on a screen. Because the very act of translating abstract thoughts and emotions into tangible concrete words is actually where the cathartic process lies. Now, I'm going to take a moment and take a reductionist approach to explain emotions. When we are fully awash in emotions like anxiety or dread or overwhelm, these emotions can feel all-consuming. It's almost like we've put on a pair of virtual reality goggles and we perceive reality internally and externally through the lens of that emotion. But we know that if and when we take off those goggles, our perception of reality will shift again. It will change. Well, this is the same thing with emotions. 
when the negative motion passes, and the negative motion again could be overwhelm or dread or what have you, it gets replaced by a more uplifting emotional state. And when the emotional state changes, well, that means we experience the world completely differently. So emotions are a chemical cocktail of hormones, neurotransmitters, and neuromodulators that swim through our bloodstream. So how we feel comes down to the recipe and the mixture of these chemicals. Emotions themselves do not present any danger. They're just information as we've explored in previous episodes. Although those emotions can make us think and feel that the danger is present and it is real. I think one of the biggest obstacles to building resilience is the ability or the lack of ability of confronting our emotions. One of the major things that we know of in cognitive behavioral psychology or just the cognitive sciences, it is so important for us to process emotions. Now, back in the day, a lot of people, and we still do it, is we bury our emotions, we ignore it, we hide away. Now, that, that serves a purpose temporarily. In the short term, we can forget about it. We, we, can, we can focus on something else. But unless we deal with the underlying challenges that those emotions are bringing up, those emotions aren't going anywhere. They will just come back at a stronger velocity, at a stronger intensity. And, that, and then we push it again away. And then so you can see how this builds up. Processing emotions allows us to deal with uncomfortable situations. But once we deal with it, the emotions dissipate. They don't come back as strong. And so processing emotions through expressive writing is one of the best ways I know to build resilience. Now, why? What I'd like to do is talk a little about it because we all know what overthinking and rumination, these negative thought spirals do in our head. They create an internal chaos that has physiological and psychological implications. When we write things down, basically what we're doing is downloading our brains onto paper. And writing itself serves a number of purposes. One is that it allows us to slow things down in order for us to speed things up. We need to take the time to articulate those abstract thoughts and emotions into concrete, crystallized words. You know, a lot of the times I will often encourage people to actually physically write in cursive rather than typing because the physical act of writing means we have to actually take time to execute specific patterns and physical strokes of the the pen or the pencil. You know, to write the letters and the punctuation, it forces us to slow down our thinking. And that's what it does. And through that gearing down, it allows us to process a lot of our thoughts and insights actually start popping up. Now, writing itself, the act of writing actually activates a specific area in the brain called the basal ganglia. Now, this is the part of the brain that is responsible for the fluency of our thinking, the fluency of our thoughts. Now, when we start out writing, it may seem very laborious at first, but think about it like you're you're starting out on a circle. It doesn't really matter what point on the circle you start. It's just to start. 
And then what you will find after a while, first it'll begin like a trickle of words, but after a while, there comes this flow. Whether you start with emotions or thoughts, it doesn't matter. It's just to start somewhere. Start with the first thing you feel. Start with the first thought that comes to mind. And you will find if you work through it, a sense of fluidity starts to come and there is a fluidity of thought. And before you know it, the more we express ourselves through the written word, the better our perch is to understand what we couldn't before. Now, another advantage of writing is the idea of memory reconsolidation. What does that mean? Well, when we write, we may bring up a past event. It may have happened three minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, three days, three months ago, 30 years ago. It doesn't matter. When we bring up an event in the here and now, we see it from the perspective of who we are now and the values that we stand for in the present moment. And so when we bring up that memory and we write about it and we, we explore it through the fluidity of our pen, what happens is that memory will never go back into your brain's memory archive as the original memory. No, it'll be reconsolidated. That memory will have been affected by the person you are today, by the perspective you have today. So, for example, let's say something something happened, you know, you, you remember back in grade school, you're given a book report from the whole class and you kind of stumbled and something went wrong and what you remember is just being put on the spot. All the kids were laughing and such and that really affected you. And for the longest time, you thought, I'm never going to present. And so you forgot about that memory per se. But, you know, 20 years later, you're in college or you're in your first job and you need to give a presentation. And all of a sudden, you recall this. Something triggers this memory. And you're thinking, oh, I can't do this. But then you decide, you know what? I need to process this emotion. I need to process this situation. So that person who is 20 or 30 years older than that little child sitting in that classroom, he or she has now much more greater perspective. And so by processing the emotions, by writing it out, that memory does not go back as that whatever, that eight or nine-year-old. It will go back as that 25 or that 35 or that 45-year-old perspective. And thus, this, is a, this allows us to get a handle on things. We can change our story. We can change the narrative. We can change the memory literally by memory reconsolidation. So the act of writing and processing old emotions, now we can get those emotions to help us. We can see those emotions as information and then ask ourselves, how do I take this information and how do I use it to my advantage? So it no longer hinders me, but it helps me forward. Well, now I want to jump into the specific skill of expressive writing. What I want to do is to share what I do for myself and what I share with my clients and what seems to work the best. Now, again, there's no fixed rules for this. I want you to consider what I'm going to share with you in in a few moments as just as guide rails to focus your writing. They're not must-dos. To see if expressive writing is something for you, I just want you to experiment for the next three days. So just choose three days in a row. Now, on each of those days, I want you to set your timer or your smartphone for only 20 minutes. 
and just write. Just write anything for 20 minutes. If the 20 minutes ends and you feel that you want to continue, well, then just set it for another 20 and then another 20. 20 minutes is more than enough. So when you do it, let go and explore your emotions and thoughts related to an issue. It could be a specific topic. It can be a situation. Now, it could be something about your past, something that happened that you regret or you, you don't like and you just want to deal with it. Maybe it's something in the here and now. Perhaps it's something that you have a little anxiety or worry or concern about, about the future. Now, the topic could be about a specific issue or general feeling about something. Maybe it's about a specific personality trait that you identify, something that you want to work through. Perhaps it's a fear of conflict or a fear of change or a fear of failure. Perhaps it's a sense of overwhelm that sometimes pops up. Perhaps it's something that we spoke to in episode three, one of those overthinking narratives of the imposter syndrome. Everyone has had some level of conflict, some type of conflict or stress in their lives. And we can also identify one of those and use that as a topic to write about. At the same time, you may want to write about the same general issues in all over all three days, or perhaps you want to take a topic, a different topic for each of the three days. It doesn't matter. Again, there's no fixed rules to this. Now, the thing is, what is important here is that all of your writing is to be completely confidential. You do not have to share it with anyone. You know, you don't have to worry about spelling or sentence structure or grammar. You can use, you can fill it with with colorful metaphors, if you want. You can swear to your heart's content. The only rule is that once you begin writing, continue to do so until your time is up. 20 minutes. It's only 20 minutes on the clock. And if you feel after that 20 minutes, you still want to get out more, that's great. That's brilliant. Then set it for another 20. There's no need to keep what you've written or reread it. You can destroy it. If you wish to reread it, that's up to you. If you wish to keep it, fine. That, that's also up to you. But what I tend to do, I write something out. I process whatever the situation or the event or the emotion is. And I, I, honestly, I don't re, reread it. I just chuck it. You know, I just dispose of it. So those are some general guidelines when it comes to expressive writing. The point is, it's only for your eyes only. And you don't even have to reread it, as I just said it. Find something and then write about it. You don't have to have structure or form. You just let it flow. When pen hits paper, just let the words flow into sentences, flow into paragraphs. Write till you feel emptied. Write till you feel you've got everything out on paper. If you need extra time, then take extra time. There's, again, there's no fixed rules. Well, as we bring this episode to a close, I just want to conclude with some final thoughts. Expressive writing is not so much what happened as it is how we feel something has happened or is happening to us. And writing, expressive writing, is very spontaneous. So sometimes it can be turbulent and unpredictable. But that is perfectly okay. And also, it is often assumed that expressive writing is all about doom and gloom and everything negative that happens to us. Yes, that's, that's part of it. But 
It's, it's a tool that is applicable to all types of experiences. These may be positive and uplifting moments, you know, when we were in a good place and it's exciting. Others may be moments where things were not so good. You know, expressive writing is a tool to help us adapt to situations where we can learn from situations. And when we write and we express our thoughts and our emotions, we download our brains. It allows us to reframe events in a more constructive perspective where it gives us a sense of control and oversight over the situation. Well, thanks again for joining me this week. I really appreciate your time. Um, I hope you found this episode informative and a tool that you can use. And please share it with anyone you think might find it of interest or it could benefit. Please share it with your network. But thanks again. Until next week, keep well, keep strong, and we'll speak soon.